Welcome to Women in the Word. My name is Vanita Jones, and as always, it is my great pleasure to be here with all of you as we continue this study in James. This week, we got to look at the last nine verses in James 1, and I think these verses, when you take them along with everything we've already read in James, you get a pretty good idea of what kind of writer and what kind of writing style James uses. He's just right to the point. Isn't he? he doesn't beat around the bush. You kind of know what he's thinking the minute you read it. And I think Deb nailed it when she said that James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament. Because it really is. Proverbs is the same way. Every single verse is packed with instructions. And I don't know about you, but I have felt like James has been a gut punch. Because every single verse, maybe not every single, but a lot of them, oh. He's hitting me right where it hurts. It's almost like he has this insider view into everything I do all day long, and then he hits on it as soon as I get in James. But, you know, James is like this. It's not so much simplified. I would say it's more of a compact version of the Bible. And it's all in these few, few chapters. I'm not really good with details. So I kind of think the book of James was written for people just like me. In fact, this, this point about me happens to be one of the biggest points of contention in our marriage. My husband is a words man. And in fact, he compiles emails all day long that are like novels, and they're filled with details. He's done all this research, and they have all these statistics in it. And, and then he writes an email to me about something he needs done at the house, and it has a novel, like eight to ten paragraphs. He hasn't learned yet. I've already stopped listening to anything he says. I sure miss all the details in the last two chapters, (laughs) last two paragraphs of that email. But honestly, I miss anything past five sentences. Because if it's not written in these little short, concise, short sentences, I've already moved on. I'm trying to take care of what he's asked me to do. And after 27 years of marriage, he still does it. In fact, he did it last weekend, and I missed some really important information at the bottom of an email again. But James gets it. I think the book of James was written for people just like me. And if you're like me, it's written for us. But I know there are people out there, you love stats. Some of you love details. And you love all of that. And guess what? When you're not in James, just hop back to Numbers or Leviticus Do a little easy reading, get a little extra words in your day, and it'll calm your mind all the way down. Don't you feel like James could be one of those lists that you read that says, all I ever learned in life, I learned in kindergarten. Kind of is the first one you think of. I read one once that I learned from my dogs. There's a lot of good information there. But I think James could be that way because, because in those lists, you always get this very simple, very profound information, isn't it? I mean, it'll be things like um, share with others. Don't hit people. Clean up after yourself. Wash your hands. All of it crosses generations. We all should be doing those things. How about don't bite the hand that feeds you? Don't make a mess in the neighbor's yard. That's from the dog list. But guess what? It crosses species too, doesn't it? I could say there's very things to the kids in my life. But I think James could do this too. 
Because I think, like, we could start off with what we've already learned. First on his list would be, be joyful in your trials. Good information. Secondly, it would say, seek God's wisdom. Great information. And this week, I think that list would say, be hearers and doers of God's word. Because that's exactly what he's telling us in these. In fact, this portion of James reminds us that we can study God's word all day long. You could stick in his word 24-7. You could become a Bible scholar, a theologian. But if you aren't doing what it says in his word, it says you're living foolishly like the rest of the world. In fact, I would even say you're probably more foolish than the rest of the world because you know it and you're not doing it. Now, if you haven't already done so, I want you to open up your Bibles to James 1 and follow along as I begin reading uh, at verse 19. I'm going to read three verses. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So he opens up with, know this, brothers. It's like if he was up here today, he'd say, listen up, ladies. I've got something really important that you need to know. And he follows it up with this really sage advice. And I think it's probably advice we've all heard before in our lives. We've probably said it a couple times. He says that everyone should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's like three gut punches. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, all of these are areas that I are difficult for me at times. In fact, there's one that I struggle with all the time, and I bet you can say the same thing. It's the one that seems to creep up more often than the other. You know, I think although this is very wise advice, in verse 1. It's definitely by advice that's going to make living wisely much easier in every aspect of our lives. This, these verses, we get a hint at the context of these verses starting in, in, that we read today. And we get this hint when we look at all the verses surrounding it. For instance, let's look back at James 1.18. It's the one we looked at last week when Lynn was here. It says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be kinds of first fruits of his creatures. Word of truth. Word of truth. He's talking about the Bible, isn't he? So we take that verse. It's not like James just plunked the verse right in the middle of that. And then we look at all the verses that follow that. We see that it's how we're supposed to approach God's word. He's, that's what he's talking about in this, in this context. And this section of James reminds us of the importance of God's word. And we know this because three of these nine verses, we only had nine verses, but three of them refer to God's word. So he's going to tell us how to find our instructions in God's word for wise living. Now, early on in the study of this, I was, I was struck by that. I'd never really thought about that. I always thought that verse was just kind of thrown in there because I thought maybe... That's, that's how my brain works. I just think of something, I'm going to throw it in there. I thought James thought, hey, speak, speak less, be quick to hear. But no, he's talking about God's word. And it made me stop and think about how I prioritize God's word. Now, I love God's word. I mean, I love, love, love his word. But, you know, I have to stop and think, how often do I go into his word? 
How often do I take what I've learned in God's word and, and how is that affecting the rest of my day? Is it actually changing me? And how quick do I go to his word when I need some instruction? Or, or do I quicker, am I quicker to go to my phone and, and text my friends? Or look at a Google it? And then how do I handle that stuff I learn in God's word that just seems hard? You know, stuff that I don't think this could actually work in what I'm going through right now. How could that possibly work? You know, sometimes what God's word is saying is so different than what everyone else around is saying to me. It, it, it goes against the trends. It goes against everything else you're hearing, and it seems really hard to do. Sometimes I read his word, and I'm just validated, and I'm feeling warm fuzzies. And then the next time I'm reading it, I'm thinking, well, that's nice, but that couldn't possibly be for me. I know some people that need it. I'll pray for them. When he's really wanting me to hear it. Or maybe I think, well, that's great advice, but God, there is no way you could possibly know everything I'm going through. What you're saying here could not be applied to anything I'm going through at this moment. This is a lot harder than it looks. You know, I often read portions of scripture then and I think, what does this look in my life? How does this look in my life? How am I going to take what you're telling me here and apply it when I walk away from your word and walk into those circumstances that are waiting for me when I close this Bible? How can I apply it to every single circumstance so that at the end of the day, I know without a doubt that when I lay my head on the pillow, I have loved others well, and I have done it in a way that honors God by doing so. You know, God uses his word to refine us, so we begin to look and, and honestly, more importantly, I think, act like his son, Jesus. That's what he wants. He wants us to look like his son, and he begins refining us when we begin to, to, allow, to align ourselves with his word. And to align ourselves with his word, we have to be in his word. And that is exactly what James is saying in these verses. See, these first three tell us that we're to receive God's word with meekness. Now, I said with humility because I think the word meekness gets kind of a bad rap nowadays. I think Deb had a great definition of it when she said that meekness is power under control. I think that's a much better way. I don't think of meekness like that, but I want to. And so I put he humbly, that's what some versions say, is with humility. So he asked, he says that we have to humbly receive God's word. And it's the word that he said is implanted in us. Now, he doesn't leave you with that only. He tells you how to do that. And he tells us that we first be quick to hear. Be quick to hear God's word. You know, Paul backs this up in Romans 10, 17. It says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And then if you look in Matthew, when you look at the, uh, the gospel of Matthew where Jesus tells the parable about the sower... And he says that the sower throws a seed out and it lands on different soil and it's received and, and it roots differently. Well, he's actually speaking about the word of God and, and the soil of the different hearts it encounters when the seed of God's word is planted. And he says this at the very end. He says, he who has ears, let them hear. Well, I'm looking out here right now and I see lots of ears. I looked in the mirror this morning and I saw two ears, so I don't think there should be any confusion that we're supposed to be quick to hear God's word. 
That means you're going to make God's word a priority each and every day of your life. You know, whether it's in a setting like this, where you're studying God's word together, it could be at home when you're reading his word, it can be listening to teaching online, whatever it is, we should be quick to do it. But it also means that we should be quick to be still and listen to his word. Listen to him. Now that, for me, is one of the hardest things to do. I can't even sit and watch a 30-minute TV show without moving and reading a magazine and playing a game on my phone. It drives my husband insane. But, you know, I can read and study and listen to speakers But sometimes it's really hard to sit still and listen to him. And I found, I know this is an area he's working on in me. I know it, and I've felt it for years. And a couple years ago, I learned, this is actually during COVID, because my husband worked from home, and I couldn't find a quiet place. And so I would read God's word, I'd study, I'd dig into it, and then I would just throw my sneakers on and head out the door, and I'd go for a walk. And I learned more truth in that time when my feet are moving, but my mind was still. And I could hear what he was saying to me. You know, I had to be purposeful. We have to be purposeful every time we want to hear God's word. And guess what? When I do that, he never fails to reveal the deepest truth I never even saw in his word. And I would have missed out on that without that quiet time with him. Now, my, my neighbors probably think I'm crazy because I'm usually like just thinking in my brain and I'm saying something. I can't be still even when I'm walking. So they probably think I'm nuts when I'm walking. But James says that to humbly receive his word, next we have to speak, have to be slow to speak. Now, what he's not saying is that we shouldn't speak at all. He's not saying that at all. What he's saying is just be slow to speak. It's kind of like that old saying where God gave you two ears and one mouth, so... Listen more and speak less. Quiet yourselves and hear what God is saying in his word and through those teaching his word. But not only quiet your speaking or your phones, right? Quiet your mind so that you're prepared to hear his word. Now, the primary idea here is that um, there is going to be an appropriate time to speak. And I think what he's saying is when that time comes, you should be well prepared. It shouldn't be careless. It should be carefully thought out. That goes for anyone that teaches God's word. I think that goes for anyone who speaks to others about God. And that covers everyone in this room. We should be speaking to others about God's word. And what we say should be edifying to anyone that's going to hear it. And it should, most importantly, honor God. Because it's on his behalf that we're speaking his words to them. Don't be careless with God's word. Now, next, James says to humbly receive God's word, we need to be slow to anger. Now, the word anger used here in the original text refers to a deep inner resentment. The anger, this anger they're talking about is not an explosive outburst of hot-tempered kind of thing. It's not that. It's an angry disposition where one constantly has kind of this smoldering anger deep within them where it kind of reveals itself maybe because they're, they're argumentative or they're ultra-critical of anything or anyone that they hear or see in God's word or around God's word. The anger he's not talking about at all is a justified righteous anger that's 
towards some sin or towards uh, anything that dishonors God. Even Jesus displays that type of anger. Look at Matthew 21 on your verse sheet. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. It's not righteous anger. See, this anger recorded here, it seems to be they're speaking specifically about anger towards the truths of God's word. Any truths that they're finding in God's word, they're, they're criticizing it. It's, it's truths that displease them, maybe because it's, it's confronting a sin in their life. It could be that it's a conflict, a conflict against something they learned as a child, or they've grown to know in, in a religion they were brought up in. But it's anger pointed at God and his word, as well as anyone who teaches that specific truth that's angering them. And oftentimes it's revealing a falsehood that they're believing or maybe revealing a lifestyle they've chosen or maybe not chosen, but slid into. And they don't like it. And James further explains in verse 20 that this kind of anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Because it keeps you from recognizing your sin, which is important if we're going to repent of that sin. And if we can't recognize our sin, we're not going to repent of that sin. If we don't repent of that sin, then we're not going to move past it in our life. This kind of anger towards God is kind of like a speed hump. Or it can even become, sadly enough, become a brick wall in your spiritual walk. It's going to slow or, or completely stop that refining that God is wanting to do in your life. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for his every good work. When I read that, I was struck that it didn't say that it's going to make me feel good about myself and it's going to make me feel warm fuzzies when I walk away. It doesn't, doesn't always do that. It's, it's a way that we're going to be trained. We need to be teachable. See, the Bible is literally God's words put on paper. And we know that. That's exactly what it's saying there. So if you claim to truly believe that God is all-knowing, he's always present, he's completely just in everything, he's merciful, he's perfect, so that means he's unable to sin, and you believe that he loves you unconditionally, guess what? you also have to believe that what's recorded in that Bible is the very best for your life. That's one of the hardest things for me to remember. I want to believe all of that about God, but then I'm like, oh, God, you just don't understand. This is really, really hard. Our belief should go into how we're living it out. Even if his word conflicts with current trends around us, a cultural climate that you're living in or, or a human desire that you have that's just really fun. Why should I have to give this up? I want to be happy. Your anger towards God's truth reveals an immaturity in our spiritual walk. But when we approach it humbly by being quick to listen, being quiet before him and, and, not, and listening to him and not rejecting his truth with anger, we begin to align our lives with God, with God's word. And when we do that, 
his desires, what he desires, what his heart's desire, it eventually starts to become our heart's desire. That, to me, is a sweet spot in your spiritual walk. Lastly, James tells us that to humbly receive God's word of the word of God, we need to prepare our hearts for the word to be implanted. He says to do this, we put away all filthiness and wickedness. Now, if we go keep going with that garden analogy where we're talking about the word being planted inside us, it's like James is telling us we got to pull the weeds and work the soil so that we're ready to receive that word. You know, it's not a one and done. It's something we do all the time. It's an ongoing process. Just think about it. I've lived in my house almost 28 years now. If I'd have moved in, worked the soil, pulled up the this, this weeds, and hadn't done it since, they would have already taken the house from us. I mean, it would be a forest of weeds. It's something you have to do frequently. It's something that has to be done over and over. And when you do this and you're prepared for it, you begin to receive the God's word and you honor it as his words from his lips to your ears. It's exactly what it's supposed to be. Let's continue reading in James 1, starting at verse 22. I'm going to read to verse 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perspective, Perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Okay, James has already told us now that we were to receive God's word. Now he's telling us it's not just enough to hear and receive God's word. We have to be doers of that word as well. And to be doers of God's will, it assumes that we're going to remember God's word. Because if we don't remember, we're not going to be able to apply it to our life when we walk away from his word. And basically what he's saying here is don't just get into word and and mark it up in your Bibles. Let the Bible mark you up. Make it change you. Let it change your life that you look different. When you're in his word, you should walk away from it a little different. A little different, your words and your actions. You know, back in verses 19 through 21, James compared God's word to seed. And that it was a seed that was to be implanted in soil of a heart that was well prepared and ready to receive it. Now we're in verses 22 through 25, and James compares the word of God to a mirror. He says that anyone that is a hearer but not a doer is like someone who looks intently at themselves in the mirror. And when he says intently, it's like if we use that magnifying one that I have to use now that's stuck on my mirror. And you looked in there, and you could see all of it. And you just walk away not remembering anything about what you look like. In fact, if you looked in a, looked at a police lineup, you couldn't pick yourself out. You don't know what you look like at all. You've learned nothing from that. Now, it sounds really silly, doesn't it? Oh, I'll never forget that I got a zit right before I had to go speak in front of a bunch of women. I'm never going to forget that when I walk away. But guess what? It's not silly when it's God's word. We do it all the time. I do it all the time. I can be... In God's word, I can hear a great sermon, I can read something, and then just a few hours later, I can't remember a word I read. It happened to me last Sunday, actually. We heard a great sermon from Cody. My husband and I leave. We said, hey, let's grab lunch. Over lunch, he he says, that was an amazing sermon. What'd you get out of that? 
What, what was your take on it? I am not kidding you. I couldn't even remember the theme of that sermon. And it's like I go into panic mode, like, well, you know, and I'm just kind of trying to buy time. And it's ridiculous how quickly I forget what I've learned in God's word. I'm always amazed at you, people, and, and you know who you are. They're the ones that when I'm talking to you, you can just break into a Bible verse. It's like you're breathing in once, and the next thing that comes out is a Bible verse that sounds like God said it straight to me because you don't paraphrase it like I do. See, when I try to do that, it's some kind of watered-down version of the Bible that's like Vanita's not quite up to standard version of the Bible. I mess it up so bad sometimes that it's hard for anyone to even believe I own a Bible. And, and that I've ever even opened one. So I'm pretty sure I'm not being real careful with God's word. You know, James says, don't just glance into God's word. Or glance at it. He says, look into his word. Look intently into his word. You know, the phrase looks into or intensely look into refers to something like, to think of like stooping down and really looking at something. Now, when I heard that, I just started, started thinking about when my kids were little. I have four kiddos, and they're all grown-ups now. But when they were little, they would all go out to play, and they'd be running around the backyard. you hear screaming and crying, everything going on. And all of a sudden, it would stop. And I'd look, and they'd just all four be squatted down, just staring at something. It would be a rock or a bug or, you know, once it was a little pencil-sized snake. But there was always one kiddo who had his eyes about three inches from whatever it was. His nose was almost touching it. That's our son, Casey. See, he's that kid that you can't give a simple explanation to. Never has, even as a small, small child. His first sentence, as a matter of fact, was all the words. And that was out of frustration because I just wanted to say, well, the sky's blue because God made it that way. Because that's all I knew how to say, but that wasn't good enough for him. He would look at me and go, Mommy, all the words, please. He'd be so mad, and I remember, it's panic mode for me. I don't take in a lot of details. So I didn't listen a lot in school, and so I'm not going to lie. I made up a lot of lies <laughs> when Casey was a little guy. You know, like once he said, Mommy, why is the sky blue? I, it would have sounded something like this. Well, Casey, the sky's blue because if God had made it green, Daddy wouldn't know where to stop mowing the grass. And he'd just look at me like, what? I don't know if it was like he was trying to process that or if he's like, I'm so disappointed in you right now. <laughs> but I would make up stuff all the time. And you know what? He's about to turn 26. In fact, in two days, he turns 26. And he always reminds me of this, of all the bad information I gave him. He'll always start it out with, hey, mom, remember that time you told me that, you know, whatever it was, and he'd go into it. But he always ends it with, like, I don't know. He'll say, well, yeah, you were wrong. I'm like, oh, thanks for getting it clear for me, Case. But he's that one that doesn't want to just glance at anything. He wants his nose right in the middle of it. And so, you know, glancing into a devotional, that's a wonderful thing to do. I've got the morning and evening ones. I place them all over my house. They're on my iPad. They're on my phone. They're on the nightstand. They're everywhere because it's a quick way to take my brain from here Put it here, right into God's word, when I wake up and before I go to sleep. It works well for me. But James says that the ones who look into God's word 
and asking. It's like they're asking, give me all the words, God. They dig really deep. They're the hearers. And then then when they persevere and live it out in their daily lives, they're the doers as well. And James goes on to say the hearers and the doers, they're going to be blessed. And I believe that. You know, I can say from experience that when I purposely make time to look into God's word and dig deep into his truth, I have never walked away and thought, well, that was a complete waste of my time. I've never thought that. You know, I've never walked away saying, well, I'm just worn out by that. Why would I ever want to do that? Instead, I am refreshed and energized because he has revealed so many things to me that I can't wait to tackle my day. I want to finish up by reading the last two verses of James 1, starting at verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion is pure and undefiled before God. That is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. There it is again, another gut punch. He's not going to hold back this time. Um, I don't know if you expect a nice little wrap-up of James 1, but no, he's pulling out the sledgehammer. He moves right from telling us that you got to be hearers and doers. You can't just be a hearer. But then he goes right into telling us how we know for doing it. I guess he knows us pretty well. He knows that we have God's standard and we have Vanita's standard. And I'm going to be bumping against Vanita's standard all the time if I don't do these things. Because I'll set my standards low when I'm going to be a doer of God's word. He wants to make sure that we're going to be wholeheartedly obeying God's word. Jesus, or James, I'm sorry, uses the word religion in these two verses. And the word translated from the original language, it's a, it's a word that refers to an outward practice of, of a belief. It's talking about, it also refers to serving God. So the word religion used here is only found five times in the New Testament, actually. And most of the time when it's translated, it's been translated into the word worshiping which I thought was pretty cool because honestly, that is our outward expression of our belief in God and our service is, a, is our life worshiping God. So I thought that, was, that made good sense. But the pure religion that James refers to in these verses has absolutely nothing to do with the building that you're in, has nothing to do with the music you listen to it, while you're there, nothing about the liturgy, the way you prayed in church, the special holidays, the ceremonies, none of that. Has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with practicing God's word and sharing it with others. And doing that, James says, you do it through your speech, service, and separation from the world. Now, part of that hearing and doing requires, obviously, an ongoing self examination so that we can see if our doing, what we're, when we're doers, is actually coming from a pure heart with proper motives. And he lists three things that's going to reveal that to us. First is our speech. I mean, that's a hard one, of course. I mean, do my words line up with what God's word is saying? Do my words line up with what I know I'm supposed to be saying with my mouth? I know one way I can be sure that I've spent enough time in God's word lately. I mean, honestly, it's, it's if my first reaction to anything. Are my reactions overreactive? Are they emotional? Are they positive or are they negative? 
See, if my time in the Word is shallow and my just taking a glance every now and then, my speech is eventually going to follow that. My, my first reaction to any situation will be kind of negative. And it, it may not be terrible, but it's probably not edifying. It's probably not encouraging. And I can tell you sometimes it's not God-honoring at all. But when we're going deep in, deeper in to God's word, our speech follows. Because we begin to line up our speech with his word. Now, we're going to be talking about the tongue quite a bit later on. I don't want to scare you off. Please come back. It's an area, obviously, James thinks we need to know about. But I do want to just read a little bit of James 3. Um, it's just a little preview, so I promise you'll be back. Uh, James 3, 9 through 10 says, With it we bless our Lord and Father. He's talking about our tongue. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Oh, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. That one hurts. You know, Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good to build up, as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it. Hearers and doers of God's word use speech that is edifying, encouraging, and God-honoring. Are your words that? Are they edifying, encouraging, and God-honoring? If not, get back in his word. He's got some work to do. I have to do it all the time. Secondly, he tells us a good way to know if you're being a doer is look at your service. You know, the most natural thing that comes from looking into God's word is we learn just how much God loves his children and just how much he wants to provide for his children's needs. It's actually the entire Bible. You know, Galatians 5.13 says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Right up there next to how much God cares about your salvation is how much he loves his children and desires to provide for their needs. Ladies, if something is important to God, it should be important to you as well. Look at Philippians 2.34 in your verse sheet. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only at, to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Spending time in God's word is going to help, is going to cause you to see others and their needs through the lens of God's word. And when you do that, you're going to see that helping those in need is important to God. And it needs to be important to you as well. But don't just stop at knowing that it's important. Act on it. Act on it by being the hands and feet of Christ and meet those needs. That's why he gives you those opportunities. Think about how am I spending my God-given resources? I'm talking about your money, obviously, right? How am I spending my time? How am I spending, how am I using my talents? Do I selfishly hold on to my money because I'm afraid I'm going to need it later? Or do I selfishly keep my schedule tight so I don't have to do something I don't want to have to do? Or, or, or do I not want to share my talent with someone else because that's really hard. It takes a lot of time. Or am I willing to give up those God-giving resources when God gives me an opportunity to use them? He gives them to us all the time. And the last thing he tells us is that to, um, 
to know if we're being good doers is, are we living separate from the world? Are we remaining unstained by the world? You know, am I living in this world, which we all have to do? We're just here. We have to live here. Until we go to glory, we're in this world. But am I living for the world? Two totally different things. This may be very well the hardest thing you're ever going to do as a Christian. Paul addresses it in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And 1 John says it too in, in chapter 2. Do not love the world or do things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, when he's talking about the world, he's referring to anything out there that we encounter in this around us that's the society without God. And it's everywhere. We're surrounded by it. But see, living for the world leads eventually to a love for the world. And once you start loving the world, you're going to start conforming to look more like the world. And that just leads to destruction. Always leads to destruction. Do not... Let the world leave its mark on you. But rather, leave the mark of Christ on the world when you're out there. We have a perfect example how this happens in the story of Abraham's brother, Lot. Do you remember him? He was given some land, and he pitched his tent outside of Sodom. Remember Sodom? Sodom was a town that was known for its wickedness. And, and so they pitched their tent out there, and I'm sure for a while they looked into Sodom, and there's all those great parties going on that they weren't invited to. That sure looks like a lot of fun. They seem to be having fun. So what do we know next? He moved his tent into Sodom. So he's in Sodom for a while, and then he started to like Sodom. So this is kind of fun. It's kind of hip, kind of fun, trendy. I like this. And before he knew it, he had conformed, and Sodom had moved into his family and into his life. And it led to ultimate destruction for him. When God's judgment fell on wicked Sodom, the city, and everybody in it lost everything except his own life. But Abraham, his brother, he's known as a friend of God. He lived in the world, but separate from the world. And he became a father of many nations with descendants too numerous to count. He was abundantly blessed. You know, it's not necessary for us to conform to this world to actually have an impact on it. We're going to have a better impact on this world and a bigger impact on this world if we remain unstained by the world. Easier said than done, but you can do it. if You stay in God's word and seek his wisdom always. You know, James was very clear in his instructions to, those, to the readers of James. You remember, they were the Jewish believers. They'd been kind of scattered and they were being persecuted. And Lynn told us last week that he first told them to count all their trials as joy. Find joy in your trials, he says. And it is a time when God's going to teach you. And then she, then, then she told us that they were told to constantly seek God's wisdom. That's how they maneuver and navigate through those trials. And this week, James is abundantly clear that we're to seek God's wisdom. And he tells us how to do it. He says, humbly receive it, constantly remember it, and wholeheartedly obey it. So what does that look like in our lives? How do we seek God's wisdom today and apply it as we navigate our lives? First, you make time to look into God's word and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to you. He'll do it. 
He'll take you deep into his word. Secondly, ask the Holy Spirit to help you apply what you've learned that day and, and show him where you're going to use it as you walk through your day. He'll give you opportunities to practice all day long. Trust me. And then thirdly, just stay aligned with God's word. And you do that by frequently evaluating your speech, your service, and, and your separation from the rest of the world. You know, I'm amazed at the way all of you prioritize God's word. You study it. You show up week after week, and you're willing to share at your tables. You listen to his word when you come in here. And I know that I'm standing here today preaching to the choir. But my prayer for all of us is that what we're hearing while we're in God's word is what we're doing when we're out in the world. That's when we glorify God and his great name in everything that we do, in every circumstance in our life, good and bad. Please pray with me. Father, we love your word. We love that you want to teach us. Lord, give us teachable hearts. Lord, I pray that we receive your word with all humility and all meekness and that it just makes us stronger each time we go in it. Father, I pray that we are obedient and remembering your word and we carry it out and we're doers that honor you in everything that we do so that at the end of the day, we know that your great name has been proclaimed in all our lives. Father, we love your word. I pray that we walk out of here different today and we love your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You